I really want to jump into the Word today, so if we can stand and grab your copy, Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 14, if you will. I'm going to start a brand new conversation today, but you know, truthfully, if you pay attention, God often weaves His heart through messages no matter what the subject is, right? Uh, when you study Scripture, there are certain themes that stick out all over the place, and so Luke chapter 14 we're going to be in this passage at least this week and next week, and uh, I just pray the Lord will speak to you in these moments. Pick up in verse 15 of Luke chapter 14. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who have been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they alike begin to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master, and then the owner of the house became angry, and he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Now, you may have heard particularly the latter part of this passage of Scripture dealing with compelling people to come in, but I want to focus on the first part of this passage today. And I want to just give you the invitation that I believe God gives to all of us, and that's the invitation to come to the table. Would you pray with me today? Father, thank you for your word. Would you help us in these moments, O oh God, to hear what you are saying? Would you, O oh God, show yourself in these moments? Holy Spirit, would you just drive this truth into the hearts and lives of every person? Do much more than what I could ever do on my own, Lord, I pray. May we hear and may we respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Maybe like you, growing up for me... The table was a significant part of our family and daily activities. That's where we ate our meal. Uh, that's where we had conversation about our days. Oftentimes, that's where guests came to dine with us, family or friends. We were together. And I know some things have shifted through the years, and uh, the table for some families is still an important part, and people still gather there. For others, the table has become the place just to eat to keep the kids from getting the crumbs all over the rest of the house. What we find in Scripture is that Jesus spent quite a bit of time with other people around the table. He ate with people. He used those opportunities to teach people the principles of the kingdom. And it represents for us today that there's a lot of ministry opportunities that can take place around the table. A lot of great things can happen, whether it's over a meal or over a cup of coffee, at a table together. We can have spiritual conversations, and there can be depth in spiritual growth when we come together. 
For just a moment, I want you to consider the context of Luke 14. You may have noticed that there was a comment at the beginning of our passage of Scripture in verse 15 that ties us back to what has just happened. In Luke 14, prior to verse number 15, Jesus was eating at a prominent Pharisee's house on the Sabbath day, a key time, and Jesus healed a man with dropsy, which was basically the body uh, retaining a lot of fluid and affecting the mobility of the body. But for the Pharisees, this was considered a forbidden act on the Sabbath, but you can read it and tell it was common sense for someone in need. And even if the Pharisees had had a child that had an issue on the Sabbath or had a, an animal that had fallen somewhere and been hurt, they would have rescued it. But they pushed back against Jesus and miracles on the Sabbath because they considered it to be work. Jesus noted that the guest's pride as he gathered together and watched everything that was happening. I love reading of Jesus because he's always attentive to what's going on around him. He always really knows what's going on in the heart of people. And he noticed that the guests had a lot of pride. They sought the best seats and he warned against it. And he emphasized to them, when you come to a place and you're invited, don't assume that you're the honored guest and don't take the seat of highest honor, but sit in the lower seat. And then if someone comes along and says, I have a better seat for you, that's great. He emphasized humility instead of pride. And then he turned to the host and he said to show humility and generosity by inviting the people who couldn't return the favor. So many times even in our world, people will do things, but they do it with a motive of what can be said about them or done to them in return. Jesus told him, don't just invite the people who can reciprocate. Uh, do what you should do in humility and generosity and invite people who can do nothing to return the favor. And when you do, the greater rewards are going to be in heaven at the resurrection of the righteous. That's the comment that triggered verse 15 when one of the people there, likely a Pharisee, spoke up and said, when, when we are in the kingdom of God, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now there's a little debate. Is this sincere? Is this a misunderstanding? Uh, what is really happening here? It's perhaps that this person really knew that there was a celebration to come with Jesus and his followers in eternity. In fact, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 25 verses 6 through 9 spoke of a great feast that would come. And later in the New Testament in Revelation chapter 19 verses 6 through 9, it speaks of a great celebration with Jesus and all his followers like a reception for a groom and a bride who have already been married. You know in scripture... Jesus is referred to as the groom and the church. You and I are referred to as the bride. We've already said yes to following Jesus if we are truly, truly a believer, a true Christian. And so we're already married to him. This is the celebration that is coming and the reception, if you will, to honor that union and to celebrate together. There is indeed coming a, an incredible celebration when Jesus calls his church to heaven. So perhaps this man knew the reality. Perhaps he also thought that being a Pharisee would just automatically put him into whatever celebration when the kingdom came. Some people misunderstood. And they thought that when the Messiah came on the scene, he would set up an earthly kingdom 
And so this man may have been thinking, well, just because I'm a Pharisee, just because I'm one of God's special people, I'm chosen, I'm part of the Jewish class, uh, I'm going to be automatically included simply because of my identity. But in reality, God stressed to them on multiple occasions that they were better at keeping the letter of the law and adding to its requirements than they were the heart behind the law and truly walking in relationship with God. In fact, he repeatedly called into question their lack of love and their worship for God. In either case, regardless of the intent of the comment, although it's possible it was the latter based on Jesus' response, Here's here's a couple of overarching principles we see right off the bat as you read through this text. Number one, God desires a full house. God desires a full house. Or say it a different way, God wants everyone to respond to his invitation to this great celebration. And whether you compare this great celebration to what's going to happen in eternity... Or whether you recognize that this is an invitation to come and feast on Jesus and be in relationship with Him now, God wants everyone to accept that invitation. When we think about what is to come in eternity, sometimes it can be tempting for us to ask questions like, why hasn't the rapture of the church happened yet? Well, in reality, God in His loving kindness, in His patience, is giving opportunity for people to be saved, for people to respond to this very invitation. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, Peter said, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, notice this, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. When you study any kind of end-time prophecy, you begin to recognize that the only seeming sign or evidence that leads to the coming of the Lord that has possibly not happened yet is the gospel reaching the ends of the earth. Scripture says the gospel will reach the ends of the earth and then the end will come. That the gospel will go to all people and all nations and then the end will come. And only God knows when that will happen. But what we know based on what's happening and based on the heart of God in Scripture is that God wants everyone to have that opportunity. He wants everyone to hear the invitation and to respond. But I don't want us to just focus on eternity Because I don't believe God wants everyone to just accept His invitation for what's to come. I believe God is inviting people to the table to experience relationship in Him now. God wants everyone to accept His invitation into salvation and relationship now. We often think so much about what is to come. But let's not lose sight of what God said He wanted to do in our lives right now. That God has made possible through Jesus and promised so much about what relationship with Him could be right now. We're not just waiting for eternity. In many ways, we're already living eternal life. We just haven't seen the fullness of it yet. But we're not waiting for eternity to have relationship with God or to be with Him. It will be more wonderful than we can ever imagine to live without the curse of sin. But we're invited into relationship with God now. Now, to know Him, to be with Him, to enjoy life and love from God. Secondly, we see an overarching theme before we dive deeper in this passage. Secondly, all people are welcome at Jesus' table. 
We see in this passage that the man hosting the banquet who represents God invited the powerless, the helpless, and those considered to be the lower class of society, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And eventually, the master's going to go even one step further than that and say, I want you to go into the highways and the byways, the roads and the country lanes, the highways and the hedges, however you want to say it. I want you to go out and I want you to invite all to come in because I want my house to be full and everyone is welcome at the table. Thirdly, we see that every person has the opportunity to respond to the invitation from God. God doesn't force anyone to accept his invitation. But he has done what he could do. He has proven that he loves the world. He loves you and I. He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. The ball, if we can say it this way, the ball is in our court. People will ask the question in our world today, how can a loving God send people to hell to be separate from Him for eternity? But the reality is people are choosing their eternal destination based on their response to the invitation from God. We read earlier, God doesn't want anyone to be separated from Him for eternity. God doesn't want anyone to deny this. He's given the invitation and now we look at how God invites everyone and how we must respond. Pick up in verse 16. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now Ready. If you're not familiar in this culture, there would basically be two invitations. That's somewhat similar to a save the date card and then the official invitation for a wedding, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? The save the date comes out to, hey, mark this date on your calendar. Don't lose track of it. But it will all be ready on this date when we actually have the celebration. Get the official invitation. In this culture, the the master of the banquet, the owner of the house, would send out an invitation that the banquet was going to happen. And then they would send out the invitation, it's ready. Come and dine. Come and enjoy. Come and celebrate this banquet. Notice in Luke chapter 14 that the first group of people invited to the banquet, all alike, or one translation reads it, all in one accord, begin to make excuses. It's interesting to note that in the Old Testament, there's a similar passage. If you don't know this, maybe you'll learn it now. There's a similar passage where God gave instructions to the Jewish people about the times they would go into war. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 5, the officer shall say to the army, Has anyone built a new house and not begun to live in it? Let him go home, or he may die in battle, and someone else may begin to live in it. Has anyone planted a vineyard and not begun to enjoy it? Let him go home, or he may die in battle, and someone else may enjoy it. Has anyone become pledged to a woman and not married her? Let him go home, or he may die in battle, and someone else may marry her. So there was an exception to the rule, if you will, 
that was provided for these individuals who were going to go into war based on what was happening in their lives. They maybe had land or they maybe had oxen or, or a, a vineyard that was going to be tilled or they might have been getting married. Can you see the similarities to the excuses that are being made in Luke 14? Well, I've got land. I've got to go see it. Please excuse me. I, I've purchased oxen. I've got to go see them. Please excuse me. I've just gotten married. Please excuse me. It's interesting to think that when it comes to the land, no one would have purchased land and no one would today without first seeing it. And it's going to be there. It's not like it's running away. So it wasn't like they had to go tend to that land right this minute. Oxen were a sign of wealth and farming. And I can promise you, much like the land, they would have been seen as well before a purchase was ever made. Obviously, marriage is important, but a marriage can still happen, and everything that happens in the newlywed phase can happen no matter what's going on in life. These were excuses at best. Seemingly, seemingly some of the same exceptions that were given for this war passage in Deuteronomy 20 were given, but notice they were not acceptable for the man hosting the banquet for God. Verse 21, the servant came back and reported this to his master. And the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys in town and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And of course the servant says, we've done all that too, but there's still room. And then he says, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. I want you to first consider today who he's talking to in context. Because Jesus is talking to the the Jewish people, the religious leaders that he's with, the Pharisees at this dinner. And if anyone at this point in the story had received the invitations from God, it was this group of people. They had the prophets in the Old Testament and the promises or prophecies of what was to come in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And then if that wasn't enough, they had John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, coming along the way and saying, prepare ye the way of the Lord, announcing his arrival on the scene. And then Jesus himself, God in the flesh, came on the scene and they rejected the God-given, God-promised Messiah. The religious, the Pharisees, the Jewish people, they had the invitation. But Jesus telling this parable in Luke 14 was an indictment against them. They were too busy. They had too many other priorities. They enjoyed the power and the prestige and the honor that they received. They enjoyed being the guides of the people and being respected by the people. They didn't engage in the lower classes in society, but instead they only invited invited their friends who could reciprocate the honor given by inviting them in banquets in return. They thought of themselves better than others and so special that they would be guaranteed whatever God did in the world. Let me say it this way. They lived a busy and prosperous life with no room for relationship with Jesus. But God doesn't just get angry at sin. He abhors sin. He is the opposite of sinful things. He is pure and holy and just. And the only way for sin to be addressed in our lives is through Jesus. And God sent His Son Jesus. And yet the religious, the Pharisees, and many of the Jewish people rejected Him. Here's what I find. In a time of war... 
The excuses were valid. They were exceptions to the rule. In the time of the call of God and the invitation to be at his table, they weren't so much. Here's what I find. There's no excuse great enough to reject relationship with God. There's no excuse great enough to reject relationship with God. And, and let me just make sure you understand. I'm not just talking about the initial receiving of the invitation. I'm not just talking about the moment where you say, Yeah, I believe Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. I believe this was for me. This is about even the ongoing relationship with God. Because there are some who make excuses and reasons why they can't be saved initially. Well, I'm just too young. i got to sow my wild oats. And there's just too many rules with religion. Or do we really know that Jesus came to this earth? And do we really know all of this stuff to be factual? And they question the validity of the Bible. We just heard a few moments ago only 4% of Gen Z even have a biblical worldview. But then you also get into this point where, yeah, I want to I receive Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I want what he's done f- for me to be applied to my life. I want to be saved. And I certainly want to escape what this thing is called, this place called hell. But then we get into the relationship with God and we can get, if we're not careful, so caught up in so many other things that we can begin to make excuses of why we don't have time for God. Before we criticize the Pharisees too much, let's consider how humanity has an invitation from Jesus to relationship, the only way to eternal life. And the question for us today would be, how many of us are too busy with other things rather than relationship with God? We get tied up and caught up in work and chasing what culture says is success. And we get tied up in chasing being able to have all the things. We get caught up in even the idol of family. And don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but we can make so much about we need the family time. And we need the kids to be in these activities. And we run all over God's creation to make sure we're at all of these things. But who suffers in the process? Ultimately, we do because... There is no front burner and time available for God. And we have to have leisure and pleasure and vacation. We'll prioritize every one of those things. But what about relationship with God? How many other priorities can consume us in this life How many, Luke chapter 8 talks about the parable of the sower and how the seed will be cast, but there are some that is cast among thorns and weeds, and when they grow up, they choke out the life of the truth and the life of a person. How many today are caught up in the weeds of life and the cares of this life, and they're more consumed with that, and it chokes out the truth of God? And let me go a step further. How normal have we made this way of life? It's normal for us to be busy. In fact, we wear it as a badge. When people talk to us and ask us how we're doing, I've said it many times, what's our our first response? We're busy. We're doing good, but we're busy. How the last couple of weeks been? Oh, they've been good. Really, really busy, but in good ways. I've heard myself say it. 
There's a part of it that I think we want people to think we're productive and fruitful. I think there's a part of it we want to look good in the eyes of other people. I think part of it is culture that is pushing us to always be on the go, to constantly be busy, to somehow feel like that if we sit down at the feet of Jesus, we're wasting our time. And yet Jesus is saying, but I'm, I want you to do this. I want you to come and be with me. I want you to come and learn from me. I don't want you to be so caught up and so busy and so attached to other things that you don't have time. Notice in Luke 14, they all alike, they all in one accord begin to make excuses. Busyness and other priorities and excuses are the norm in our culture. We're so busy and I wonder sometimes have they bled into the church and it's just normal. It's just normal that service has to be this long and no more. It's just normal that I can pray for this long and no more. It's just normal I can only read this much scripture and no more. It's just normal that I only have time for this little bit. If I can fit God in, great, I'm there. If I can't, Too busy to attend church, too too busy to gather with the body, too busy to come together and pray. Too many other things to be involved in a life group and grow. Too busy to see the lost around you and serve. Well, I can't make it because I have to do fill in the blank and I have to be fill in the blank. And it's okay. We all in one accord are just saying, well, it's okay. Life's just busy. Who's pushing back? That this is not what God intended. God doesn't intend for us to get just wrapped up in the world. God doesn't intend for us to have all of these other things and all of these other priorities. I'm not saying that it's not to enjoy life. But I'm saying the greatest enjoyment in life is only going to come in fulfillment from Jesus Christ. Because you can gain everything you're trying to chase. And you can gain everything the world says you need. And you'll get to the end of it and you'll say, I'm still empty. I'm still sitting on empty. I'm still void. But only in Jesus is their fulfillment in life only only Revelation 3.20 Jesus said here I am I stand at the door and knock and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in and eat with that person and they with me and we often quote this verse of scripture when considering lost people in our world we think that this is, this is this invitation from Jesus to people who have not yet made a decision to follow Jesus. But when you go and read Revelation 3, you know this. He's talking to his church. He's not talking to the lost. He's talking to his church who have gotten off track, who have got wrapped up. Listen to what he says to them. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Listen to this. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You've gotten caught up in all of these things. You're living a busy and prosperous life by the world's standards. But to me, your Lord, you have lost a zeal for me and ultimately lost the purpose of serving in my kingdom. How could you ever inspire the world to follow me if you're too busy and too wrapped up in other things to follow me yourselves? 
how could we ever think that we have all we need in ourselves? How could we ever think that we could find everything our soul really longs for in this world? How can we ever be satisfied? How can we ever be fulfilled? We recognize in ourselves that we are, we are full of spiritual poverty, but we have nothing to offer, nothing to bring. We think that Jesus' illustration in Luke 14 is just about inviting the less fortunate and the crippled and the lame and the blind and the people that can do nothing in return. And in the physical sense, that's true. But there's a spiritual sense to this, that we were the crippled, the lame, and the blind. We were the lost. and We had nothing to offer. We were powerless and helpless and hopeless. And he still invited us to the table. Spiritually, we have nothing to offer. And yet he invites us to the table. So I ask you today very simply. Have you responded to the invitation to come to Jesus' table? Nothing matters more in this life. Nothing matters more for all eternity. And you want to... You know, we're, we're, we're very guilty of, of looking at the Pharisees and the Jewish people of, of the day of Jesus on earth. And we look, at, we look at them and we say, how in the world could you not respond to Jesus? How in the world could you reject the Messiah that God has promised all this time? And then he comes on the scene and he's doing all these miraculous things and he teaches as one who has authority. How in the world could you reject him? And then we begin to recognize, wait a minute. We're blessed to live in a time with the prophets of God, the promises of God, the word of God, the fulfillment of all that was promised previously in Jesus and his finished work of death and resurrection. We're blessed to be on this side of history where history is played out just like God said it would. So when scripture says Jesus is the way and that there's going to be an end to this world as we know it and that there's going to be a judgment coming, we've got everything we could ever need that proves what God is saying. And yet what are we doing with the invitation of Jesus. But more than just for eternity. I just I can't reiterate this fact enough. More than just for eternity. I believe the invitation is to come and to feast on Jesus now. To abide in him. To be immersed in him. To long for nothing more in our lives than to be with Jesus. Maybe, maybe the question for you today is, have you been lured away from God by the things of this world? I understand we, we live life on this earth, so I get it. There's, there's work. If you plan to eat, you got to work. If you plan to make a living, you've got to work. There are things that we have to do. We're not saying that there aren't responsibilities and priorities, but... I believe God wants a depth in relationship with you like you've never known. But I've come to the conclusion, God won't compete. He's not going to twist your arm and make you. 
He'll show you throughout your life, throughout many different ways of just how true He is. He'll give you the opportunity to see who He is. He'll give you the opportunity to come to the table, but He's not going to compete. And what, as I said a moment ago, what if you do get all these other things? What if you do have a busy and prosperous life in this life? To what end? What do you get? Because when it's all said and done, none of that's going to be there. None of that's going to matter. You won't be fulfilled. You'll have it all, as the world would tell you, only to realize you have nothing that you still have a void in your heart. Only Jesus. I wish that I could somehow transfer beauty of relationship with God that I experience and I'm not talking in a way to try to talk about to talk about me and I'm not some super spiritual person in fact I could probably be a little more spiritual sometimes I'm not I'm not talking about I'm just talking about the sense of being with Jesus and talking with the king of kings and recognizing your spiritual poverty you're bankrupt without him but yet in him you have life and life more abundantly life to the full and eternal life to come oh that I could transfer to you this understanding if we will come to the table Jesus is the feast that never runs out Pray today, you've responded to this invitation. I pray today, if you haven't, you will. And I pray today that if you have accepted it and once walked so closely with God, but you're looking up today and you've turned away from the table. Maybe you're still sitting in the seat, but you've turned away. Your, your attention's getting caught up with other things. Your attention's getting pulled by other things in this world. That today you will be reminded that none of it's actually doing what you want it to do. None of it's actually fulfilling what you want it to fulfill. That, that you can be busy and prosperous in this life, but not be prosperous in your soul without Jesus. And that you would come back with your attention attuned to Jesus. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, if you will, all over this room. In a few moments, we will participate in communion together to say thank you to the Lord, to show our gratitude. But first, I, I want this to be a moment where you can say, Jesus, I'm responding. I'm coming to the table today. I want to feast on you, Jesus. Maybe, maybe it's that you would say to him, Jesus, I have tried all these things in the world, and yeah, I, I'm finding they're not, they're not, it's not doing what I thought it would do. I thought if I got this, and I thought if I had that, and I thought if I achieved this, I thought it would all be okay at that point. I thought I would feel successful in achieving. I, I, thought, I thought there would be a fulfillment in me, but I'm finding that's not it. Today you're saying, I, I need something that the world can't offer. I'm going to come to the table of the Lord. 
and find that I can feast on Jesus. I can be with Him. I can learn from Him. I can grow in Him. I can be more like Him. And that you will grow today to cherish that nothing matters more than that relationship with Him. That you'll grow to cherish maybe even the time that you used to spend in all these other ways. And, and I'm not suggesting that everything is just sinful and wrong. I'm simply saying that you would grow to be, and I, I don't know if this is even the right phrase because I think culture means something different, but that you would grow to be so in love with Jesus that you don't want anything else more than Him. But you don't want to spend all your time doing everything else. You, you long to be in His presence. You long to be in His Word. You long to commune with Him and talk with Him and to hear Him speaking to you. That you long to have what Scripture talks about in relationship with God more than ever before. I'm going to ask you today, are there, are there people here, are there people online and today you're saying, I want to accept the invitation. I want to come to the table. I want to come to the table recognizing I don't have anything to offer. My sin is great, but His grace is greater. My sin is great, but His love for me is greater. My sin is great, and I've, I've fallen short, and I've not lived God's way, and I've done my own thing, and I've gotten caught up in the world. But today you're saying, I want to, I want to come to the table. I want to be with Jesus. that's you today in this room would you simply with eyes closed would you simply just lift your hand today to signify that's me thank you thank you thank you Lord oh Jesus I just pray in these moments that you be so real to everyone Holy Spirit would you convict and convince those who need you maybe it's the second part Maybe today it's that you, you have responded. You at some point, you at some point asked the Lord to be the Lord of your life. You at some point confessed Him as Savior and Lord in your life. And you know that you were saved, but you recognize today that there are things calling for your attention and there are distractions in your life and there, there's all these other things going on. And you might be busy and you might feel like you're somewhat successful in this world, but you're recognizing that's not what matters most. And you say today, I, I want to learn what it means to feast on Jesus. I want to learn what it means to be with Him and learn from Him and grow in Him. If that's you today, would you just simply lift your hand and put it back down and say, that's me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Would you stand with me all over the room today? If you raised your hand today, or if you recognize there's something going on in your heart, you're being tugged to, to come closer to the Lord today, then I want you to just take a moment and pray with me. And I want you to mean it from your heart and from your lips, and not, not just to repeat a prayer or just for me to pray and you to listen, but for you to pray, for you to come to the Lord and accept that invitation and to be at His table. Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. We couldn't even talk about an invitation to a relationship with God if it wasn't for you.
And Jesus, I just know there's so much more, oh Lord, that you want to share with this people. There's so much more that you have for each and every person. There's so much wonderful peace and blessing of being on this journey with you, Jesus. And God, it is my prayer today that each and every person would be pulled up close to the table today and would hear your voice and would know the work of your Holy Spirit and would feast on you, wanting you more than anything else in their lives. That, Lord, we'll not be deceived or caught up or swayed by what's happening in the world and what the world tells us will fulfill us. But, Lord, we will recognize there is a spiritual poverty, there is a spiritual issue in our lives. And the only way to find fulfillment is in you Jesus that every heart would be filled to overflowing with the joy and the peace and the love and the power that only you bring would you work even now oh Lord I pray the work would be lasting work that this wouldn't be a moment where someone would pray a prayer and then walk away and go right back to the life, go right back to things the way they are, go right back to the hectic schedule. Lord, I pray that there would be a, a change in us, oh Lord. Our hearts would long for you like a deer, longing for the water streams, oh Lord. That we would long for you and we would run to you and we would be with you, oh God. Lord, we would reshape our priorities to make sure, Lord, we're walking closely with you. Thank you, God, for those who are coming to the table today. Thank you, Lord, for those who are coming back to the table or turning their attention back towards you today. Jesus, we thank you that you invited in this parable the... The, the physically powerless and helpless, but we recognize we were powerless and helpless spiritually, that we could do nothing, O oh Lord, to save ourselves. And yet you, O oh God, loved us so much you gave your son. We can't thank you enough today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done in these moments. Thank you, Lord, for our wonderful time together. Thank you, Lord, for the, the sense of your presence in our time of worship to you. Thank you for the truth of your word. Would you go with us in these moments, Lord? And Jesus, may we seek you in our lives. Would you bless and keep this people, make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. May your countenance, your favor, ever be turned in their direction. God bless you as you go.